At the beginning of Mark's Gospel, when Jesus was coming up out of the water of the Jordan River, the heavens were torn apart, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. In the middle of the Gospel, Jesus takes Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain. On the mountain, a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to him. At the end of Mark's Gospel, Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's Son. Three times, at the beginning, the middle, and at the end, Jesus is named the Beloved Son of God. The surprise witness of the centurion is the only moment in the gospel that a human recognizes Jesus as Son of God. The Passion begins with Jesus at table in the house of Simon the leper. A woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard, broke open the jar, and poured the ointment on his head. The Greek word Christos, Christ, is a translation of the Hebrew word for Messiah, which means the Anointed One. Jesus had been speaking of his impending death since the middle of the Gospel, but the Twelve struggled to conceive of a kingdom that would begin not with the death of their enemies, but with the death of their friend. The anonymous woman of Bethany becomes the first of Christ's disciples to acknowledge his impending death. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. As the narrative unfolds, the friends and followers of Jesus gradually disappear from the story. Some of those friends leave after bombast and tears, Peter, while others sorrowfully just slip away. Or in the case of the women from Galilee, mentioned at the end, looking on from a safe distance. It was not Simon Peter, but a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was pressed into service to carry Jesus' cross. As the narrative continues, Jesus offers fewer and fewer words in his own defense. As the followers of Jesus abandoned him one by one, the only person left is an anonymous soldier, the stand-in for every subsequent reader, hearer, who is invited to say what they did not say 
to see what they did not see. Mark is gradually shifting the focus from those who had been closest to Jesus throughout his life and ministry to the reader, hearer. To heighten the import of Mark's emphasis, his narrative also uniquely adds that because all the friends and family of Jesus had quietly slipped away, it was a total stranger, Joseph of Arimathea, who took the corpse of Jesus for burial. With his dying breath, Jesus speaks, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When the bystanders hear these words, they interpret it as a cry of desolation. They think that Jesus is looking for rescue. If I were to begin, Our Father, who art in heaven, you would continue with me. You know the rest of the prayer. On the cross, Jesus is praying the opening line of Psalm 22. Jewish tradition called for pious Jews to die with the words of Psalm 22 on their lips. The beginning of the psalm is not a cry of despair, but a lament. Just as the story of Jesus' crucifixion is told through the language of Psalm 22, so in all probability, Jesus did not merely pray the beginning of the psalm. He must have spoken parts of the whole psalm as his dying prayer. This psalm acknowledges every thought and feeling of a man who is socially and physically suffering. It looks at everything, not turning away from what is too repellent. When the psalm finally finishes, the overall impression is, although the full fury of the negative experiences may continue unabated, They do not mean God is not present and faithful. Psalm 22 contains both that God is silent and yet replies, the horrible hiddenness of God and the showing of God's face, the ultimate loneliness of the one praying, and the new gift of community. The veil of the Jerusalem temple was actually one huge image of the starry heavens. The torn curtain of the temple, then, continues the meaning of the torn heavens at the baptism of Jesus. It symbolizes the opening of what was previously closed. God and people are no longer separated from one another. They are in communion. Only God can tear the curtain from top to bottom. The veil is now torn in two forever. There is no longer a separation between holy and unholy, the dwelling place of God and the created world. God is coming to us, restoring creation to its fullness, reconciling heaven and earth. The Son of God is bringing divine love into what was previously considered a place of abandonment. Was this the good news that the story of Mark promised in its opening line? Was this the divine plan all along, the plan that produced the predictions of suffering, death, and resurrection?
in Jesus' ultimate solidarity with those who have tasted the bitter feeling of God's forsakenness, God, paradoxically, becomes present. <laughs> 